Welcome, welcome, welcome. Happy Friday. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan in 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kenny, thanks for joining us on your Friday. We finally made it, Justin. Yeah, it took forever, but here we are, Friday. I know, th- this week, again, we, we talked about it. It's just felt like a drag, but yeah. we're here. Huh. And we have we have exciting, fun stuff to talk about on, we? on the show today. Yes. How about that? Hot dog. Uh, <laughs> hot dog. <laughs> um, the Pacers are playing for a championship. They advance to the first in-season tournament final, and, of course, they'll play LeBron and the Lakers. Go figure. Uh Bruce Pearl with with some interesting comments about IU, and uh, we'll preview the matchup between Auburn and Indiana. Uh, Make a play, get paid. Yes, the NIL move. Interesting idea, uh, posited by a former college coach. Get to that this hour as well. Uh, Blake Sebring, a longtime comments beat writer for the New Sentinel. Um... Now has written a lot of books, and we're going to talk to him about his latest book, Brave at Heart, the Mark Davidson memoir. He will join us in studio. Also, Snyder football coach Kurt Tippmann will join us in studio to talk about uh, winning the state championship in their season. Plus, we'll preview Purdue. Zach Eady goes back to Toronto as the Boilers take on Alabama, and this is a sneaky good Alabama team. We'll get to that as well. And we have another rare animal, this time born in Florida. We've talked about um, rare giraffes born. Well, this time, this is a different animal, but a- another rare animal born in Florida. We had panthers yesterday yes. in Florida. Now we have rare animals being born in Florida. So we'll get to we, that. We, we've had a lot of bear stories, but notice how the bear stories have completely gone away. Hibernation is here. Yes. They are all sleeping, or at least most of them. Hopefully. Or getting tucked in at the very least. <laughs> So that's a look at uh, what we have going on the show today. 46862 is how you reach us on the text line. Again, 46862. If you have thoughts on the Pacers, let us know. Uh, And don't forget, you can always stream us 1380thefan.com on the free 1380thefan app or on your smart speaker as well. All right. You ready for headlines? Sure. Let's bring it. So uh, there was a football game last night in the NFL, and... Uh, shockingly, it was the Patriots with an offensive explosion as uh, they come through, and I don't think anyone would have expected this to happen. Right? Bailey zapped three touchdown passes, 240 yards. Amazing. So 21 points in offensive explosion, but when they scored, what, 13 points total the three previous games? Yeah, and uh, <laughs> didn't score in the second half last night, but it was enough in a game that uh, – I did not watch a I second. I didn't either. This I'm like, I'm not bothering with that. Um, this typical Mitch Trubisky get the start for Pittsburgh and then losing a game they shouldn't lose. Oh, hum. That's kind of how the operating procedure <laughs> with uh, Mitch Trubisky. Not that you're familiar or anything. No, not at all. Not at all. But uh, no, I got in the car because we were here late recording our podcast and I had bet the first touchdowns. And I was like, oh, I wonder if uh, I'm going to listen to see who has scored the first touchdown and realized that uh, the New England had already scored with Ezekiel Elliott. So that was a win for me. So it was an afterthought the rest of the night, that game. Did not even pay attention. And rightfully so. I don't think anyone can can blame you on that. So the Patriots get a win. Not that it really matters. Their their season's already over. But they're, they're, they're playing for a draft pick. So naturally they won a game. Yeah, of course. 
Uh, and maybe Bill Belichick's job. So that could have helped him at least for a week <laughs> in terms of uh, job security in New England. Elsewhere in the NFL, and you know what? We didn't get to this yesterday, but the story out of Jacksonville. Uh-huh. It's just unbelievable. A former Jags employee accused of stealing $22 million. How do you steal $22 million without people noticing? Uh, used it on cars, gambling, and crypto. Man, uh, bought a, a Tesla, a, had private jet travel, a $95,000 Nautilus watch. Like, how, how, what, what kind of, uh, how much money are you bringing in? How much are you dealing with when $22 million just seemingly disappears? And of course, it wasn't all at once, but still, still. Again, you, you run down the list, a new Tesla Model 3, a Nissan pickup, private jet charters, luxury hotels, expensive private rentals. And again, he took care of his, his friends and family. This uh, the, the person being accused of this, Amit Patel, a former Jacksonville Jaguars employee, after an indictment was filed in U.S. District Court in Jacksonville. Um, country club membership, you know, you never know. You mentioned the watch. Uh, a retainer and a criminal defense firm. That's what's funny because <laughs> he stole, he used the stolen money to hire a personal trainer. Okay. And a criminal defense lawyer. So he knew eventually he was going to get caught. He just wanted to be prepared. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess working ahead, right? <laughs> Planning uh, ahead. Apparently sports memorabilia, spa treatments. I mentioned crypto NFT sports bets. Uh, the, the watch, the property, which was $265,000 and the Tesla $40,000. Um, because there's there's no knowledge on how much he lost on sports bets, NFTs, and crypto. <laughs> this is astounding. I mean, executive. This isn't like a a administrative assistant or anything stealing this money. This is a an executive with the Jaguars. So he was living pretty comfortably beforehand, and um, just got a little uh, got a little greedy, or a lot greedy with twenty two million dollars. So he's charged with one count of wire fraud, one count of legal monetary transaction. Uh, and if found guilty, he could be forced to fork over the assets and property uh, so that the Jaguars are made whole. Um, yeah, I, I see that happening. <laughs> yeah. He's Pretty cut to, and dry cases. He's going to like... quite a bit back. But the, <laughs> the story is just so bizarre. And we go from that story in the NFL to Sean McDermott, who had to apologize for making remarks about 9-11 um, he apparently mentioned 9-11 in a 2019 training camp talk with his team. Which is the headline that I saw. So my initial reaction was like, all right, who, what are people overreacting to <laughs> now in reference to, to 9-11 references? Then you read what he said, and you're like, okay, I get it now. Yeah. So he was, was talking about you know communication, being on the same page, all right, and regretted mentioning 9-11. Um, he also lost a good family friend in that, so you would think he would, you know, know better yeah. than this. But the comments in question, um, it's pretty bad. I mean, when you, like, it, it's so bad that I'm like, I don't even know if I want to say it Oh, out loud. I will. I will. Okay. <laughs> uh, he said he allegedly highlighted the hijackers who helped carry out the terrorist attack using players to consider how they were able to effectively strategize and execute their goals. So basically he used the 19 hijackers as evidence of what you can achieve With if good you all work together. <laughs> Not the best idea, no. Sean McDermott. So um, he, he, he basically 
confirmed that it happened and apologized. I, I, I'm not going to call for his job or anything. Just kind of like, what are you doing? Like, in what world did you think that was going to work? That was going to be acceptable. See, look what you could do. You could knock down buildings if you work together. Yeah. Not, 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 not a good example. Sean. So, and, and the crazy thing about all of this is that he got a contract extension back in June. Well, with the Bills' struggles and the fact that they play the Chiefs on Sunday, could fall below 500, could miss the playoffs. I mean, is his job on the line this season? No, I don't think so. I, I think there's a conversation to be had about Buffalo Bills disappointing tremendously if they if they miss the playoffs. I don't see them firing Sean McDermott, but I do think they really need to look the 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 armor that's on Sean McDermott and Josh Allen for whatever reason uh, is more and more ridiculous considering how mediocre they are. And the fact that they've been in their quote unquote window for multiple years and haven't even gotten to a Super Bowl. But I, I would argue the window is closed. I don't think it's closed yet. With it's this closing. iteration of the roster, it's closed. With, with this, yeah, with this iteration of the roster. I mean, they may not even make the playoffs. So it's going to be a, an off se- an interesting offseason for Buffalo. I don't think Sean McDermott is on the chopping block, but uh, he should probably be a little bit more strategic in what he uses as examples to his team than the 9-11 hijackers. Yeah, that's an <laughs> what understatement. Is, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? Uh, meanwhile, in college football, Michigan is working on finalizing a contract offer for Jim Harbaugh, and there's been different verbiage on this, but look, they're working on this deal, and the potential deal is a five-year, $55 million deal, which obviously is is big money, making the highest-paid coach in the Big Ten, second highest-paid in college football behind Nick Saban. Uh, I think that the one thing at play here is they want to make sure he doesn't jump to the NFL. They they want that guarantee, which, I mean, I guess, good luck. Yeah, I mean, you look at, let's say this is offered before the college football playoff to Jim Harbaugh. Could you see him waiting until after just to see what happens? Because they, you play Alabama. And wouldn't be surprised, too, because if you wait, then towards the end of the NFL season, things start picking up in terms of coaches being fired and needing replaced and all that stuff. So uh, if I'm Jim Harbaugh, I would wait and twofold because of teams interested potentially in the NFL, their season's coming to an end and seeing how the college football playoff go goes, but it would be indicative that he'd be serious to stay if he would accept an offer before the playoffs begin. And I mean, for, for his sake, I, I feel like in the program, they really need to win that first game. Yeah, and we saw the excitement or lack thereof when they found out they were playing Alabama, <laughs> which I saw a couple days ago. The the betting, there it's like a 90-some percent of the bets that are being placed on that game. Not just the who's going to win bets. It's all the bets have in some way, shape, or form Alabama winning that game. Over 90% of the bets that we're in so far for that semifinal game. Not surprised. Not I surprised mean, at all. Michigan's got to show up in in one of those games, and I mean, they got to show up just to not get rolled off the field. Yeah, let alone have a chance to win. And again, great defense, right? But offensively, they seem very limited. JJ McCarthy took a step this year compared to where he was at last year. I don't think anyone's going to argue that, but he's still not the player that I think people were projecting him out to be. I don't, I don't think he's a first round pick. 
I mean, he may come back, right? Right. So if he comes back, that changes the trajectory of the team. If he goes pro, I, I think Michigan's looking for a transfer quarterback and they're in a world of hurt. They will not be anywhere close to the level they've been the last three years. And I think this is a bigger game too, not just with the personnel on the field, but you're offering a guy the second most money in college football behind Nick Saban and hasn't won a college football playoff game in his career. So this is an opportunity to beat the guy that you're comparing him to that you're going to pay similar as. And does he get rolled off the field? And I think that's the big thing for me for Michigan is you're going to invest in a guy like Jim Harbaugh. He has to prove it. He has to prove it on the field that he's even in the stratosphere of Nick Saban. So I think Michigan can have a chance in this game if everything goes right. But I think this is a big, big indicator for Jim Harbaugh and where he's at. And I think it'll be a big indicator for him himself. That's why I don't think he accepts that that uh, that extension offer until after the playoff. Is This is a big thing for him to prove that, hey, he can do it with his best Michigan team that he's had in Ann Arbor going up against the team and the coach that he's being compared against in terms of his salary and see if he can hang. I mean, he couldn't beat TCU last year. so. Can he beat Alabama this year? Meanwhile, Deion Sanders with a prime transfer. He gets a five-star offensive tackle, Jordan Seaton, uh, choosing uh, the buffs, which is huge because their offensive line was so bad last season. Now, will that mean they'll be able to get any other offensive linemen? Uh, Seaton considered Alabama, Ohio State, Florida, Oregon, Tennessee, and Maryland. So highest-ranked offensive tackle ever to commit to Colorado. Second five-star prospect in as many years. The, the, the one last year was Cormani McClain, the corner, uh, who really didn't make an impact on the field this past season. But this is big for Dion because all the talk was, you know, from, from coaches anonymously, of course, saying, oh, it's things are going to get worse in Colorado. Well, uh, him signing an offensive tackle to protect Shadur Sanders, probably a good start. Well, and and make no mistake, these are the wins that that Dion needs to have on the recruiting trail, not the transfer portal, the actual recruiting trail, because this would be a true freshman. It pushes them to ten commitments for the class of twenty twenty four. That's ranks fifty third in the country for two four seven sports. So, Colorado needs to land more impact dudes out of high school as opposed to trying to build a two deep strictly through the transfer portal. So, this is a big deal for Dion. He needs more of these types of wins and not necessarily light, uh, loading up on transfers. Yeah, and, and this is a start, obviously, though. he Jordan Seaton's going to be thrust probably into the starting lineup right away, which is also more pressure. It is a lot of pressure for a true freshman lineman being thrust in there, but as bad as Colorado's offensive line was this year, they had a couple guys already transfer out from that offensive line unit, so I would imagine there's going to be big expectations on this five-star recruit. And Jalen Lucas, former wide receiver, running back, kick returner for Indiana, offered by Cincinnati, so we'll see where he ends up, but that would make sense because Brendan Soresby uh, is already transferring there. And then Purdue picked up a commitment in the class of 2024, a three-star outside linebacker from Tennessee, DJ Allen. Saw that, so a solid commit to Ryan Walters' program. Both Indiana and Purdue need to stop the bleeding with the transfers. 46862, the text line number. Again, 46862. Justin, the Pacers did it again. They've advanced to the Let's go, first Pacers fever. NBA in-season tournament championship game. 
Tyrese Halliburton was phenomenal yet again last night, yesterday afternoon. <laughs> the only thing they got to fix about this, a 5 p.m. semifinal start time, like what What are we doing? I here? don't know what that was. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, you got to remember this is in Vegas, so that's like 3 o'clock, right? So, But Halliburton, 27, 15 assists, and remarkably no turnovers. That's the second straight game, no turnovers. So through the last two games, Tyrese Halliburton, 53 points, 28 assists, 17 rebounds, no turnovers. He is the only player in NBA history to record 50-plus points, 25-plus assists, without turning the ball over during a two-game span. And this is the second time this season he's done it. That's the part that's unbelievable. I mean, it's just the efficiency. He is, and again, we, we talked about his rise. At the start of this year, he was a top-20 player. He, he played his way into the top-10. The way he's playing right now He's playing like one of the best handful of players in the NBA period. Now, is that sustainable over the course of the season? That remains to be seen. But I think what these wins prove for Indiana, and and, and Halliburton had a a key step-back three that essentially sealed the game late against um, Milwaukee. Milwaukee, yes, thank you. Um, you. You just wonder, can they keep this momentum going? Or is this something that, well, they're playing really well at the start of the year, and then they'll fade later on? I mean, that's the ultimate question we're at with this team because when they play top opponents, they show up ready to go. But defensively, they're just very inconsistent. And that's that's the one question mark. And that was a question mark about the team last year. And now it's, okay, you have one of the best players in the NBA. I don't think anyone's doubting that. Can they recruit top talent to Indy? Will the Pacers organization be willing to pay money for top talent? And then what can they do at the trade deadline? I think that's the next question mark. Hey, do you, I, I do think that the hype is real for Tyrese Halliburton oh, and the yeah. Pacers. I, yeah, think, I mean, he's an all-NBA player. Yes. I, I think you, you don't want to overstep, I guess. It'd be tremendous if you win the NBA Cup. I think it'd be tremendous, though, if you're in the top six of the East to make the playoffs. I think that, uh, so you don't want to to trade maybe young pieces to try to go after it this year, because I don't think this is the year. But you are seeing an upwards trend uh, for the Pacers and Tyrese Halliburton. And now another national game that you're on yesterday that you pull out and Halliburton shines. And it, it's been a phenomenal rise for this franchise. And you can put it, I don't think this is unfair, on the back of one player. I mean, it helps that you have uh, ancillary pieces for sure. But Tyrese Halliburton is the dude. Like, we, we talk about this all the time in the NBA where you have to have a, a, a star player to win, like a mega star player, and Tyrese Halliburton is that guy. And the Pacers are lucky they already signed him to that extension this past summer. So he's locked in. And yes, you know, you can go back to Oladipo, who was really good, and Paul George, who's really good when they were in Indiana, and, and Paul George at least was able to accomplish some things over his time the Pacers before getting traded, demanding a trade. But uh, this is a, a spot where Tyrese Halliburton's locked in for the long-term future, which is an advantage that the Pacers have compared to those other two players. He's healthy. And now it's just Tyrese Halliburton can attract top talent. He can go out there and, and say, hey, join us. We, we want to win. He's, he's committed to Indiana for now. And I think Pacers fans are still leery of getting burned based on the, the two previous examples. But this feels different. He could be the, the greatest player in Pacers franchise history. And I don't feel like I'm overstating that. 
I think what's been so impressive with, with Tyrese Halliburton and I saw we had the game on uh, here last night. I was able to see more of it than you because you were facing away from yeah. the TV. <laughs> but what what's astounding to me about Tyrese Halliburton is in the chaos of how the Pacers play, which is frustrating at times. You were telling me, yes, it's just so fast. Mm-hmm. Is everything Tyrese Halliburton does on the floor is deliberate. There is no extra dribbles. There's no uh, theatrics or anything. Everything he does has a purpose, on ball or off ball. And I think that's what's so impressive about Halliburton is his ability to not do anything on the floor that isn't for a reason, offensively or defensively. Whether it's and it's not just as simple as shooting. It's 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 making an extra dribble to get somebody open. It's holding the ball a little bit longer to command a double team to get somebody open. It's 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 very very impressive what he is able to do. It's not just the fact that he's one of the I put him as a superstar in the NBA, but he's not one of the top pure scorers in the NBA. He's more one of the most all-around best players in the NBA, and that's better than just being a pure scorer. There's plenty of pure scorers in the NBA. What you need is a well-rounded player that can do a lot of different things, and Halliburton is that. In the Pacers, again, you you talk about they have options moving forward. Uh, February 8th, the trade deadline, the Pacers have the lowest payroll in the league, uh, nearly $10 million in cap space. They can absorb salary. Um, and they have a lot of picks, five tradable first, 10 seconds available and potential to have max room in 2024. So they're in a position where they can make a move. Now you don't need to sell something off, but they need to make the right move and we'll see what they, what they do with that moving forward. But Hey, LeBron on the other side, go figure the, the Pacers nemesis for many years in the East showing up and a championship on the line. And another great uh, opportunity for Tyrese Halliburton to shine uh, in that uh, championship game, which will be what? Sunday? Saturday? Sunday. Uh, Saturday. Saturday. Saturday night. Saturday night in primetime on ABC. Another chance for Tyrese Halliburton and the Pacers. This is it's a huge opportunity. And you hope that the Pacers roll, run with it. And another great performance. People will say, well, they're playing the Lakers. It runs over. They played the Bucks last night. Yeah. They beat them. Bucks are better than the Bucks. Lakers. Exactly. So I don't they know. Beat the Celtics. I mean, why yeah, not continue like, the run? Why not the Lakers? So for those that, yeah, this is where it comes. Yeah, we thought that was what was going to happen when they played Buff- when they played Boston. We thought it was going to happen when they played last night against Milwaukee. So why not? Why not win the whole thing at this point? Four six eight six two. Someone texted in earlier. This is the first time I've watched the Pacers in years, and and yeah, part of the problem is if you don't have the right TV package, you can't watch their games, and they're on national TV like once or twice a season. But now, due to this tournament, that's three added national TV games, and it just it goes to show the NBA does need to do a better job. And we talked about this before, but they need to do a better job of of getting young stars like this more TV time, and and it's worked out with the tournament. It definitely has been advantageous for the for the Pacers. We'll see if they can cap it with a NBA Cup and a parade. If if it's up to Caleb and raising a banner, I mean, at the very least, they'll raise a banner, guaranteed. I don't know about the parade, but if if Caleb's in charge, parade, that ticket tape, banner, key to the city, the whole thing, <laughs> do it Retiring all. Retiring a number, Halliburton's number. Can you do that? Even though he's only played a couple of years. <laughs> 
retires. Well, then, then, he, then he can't wear the number zero. <laughs> well, it was a contingent on when he retires. He can still, it's, it's already <laughs> retired. Nobody else can wear it. I don't know if we go that far. Uh, 46862, your text line number 46862. Coming up on the other side, Bruce Pearl with some uh, kind words about IU. We'll preview IU and Auburn coming up tomorrow. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney. All right, let's play the game. Uh-huh. Genesis. Nope. Phil, ah, Collins. Phil Collins. Man, I I miss like every time. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's a good day to be uh, bringing in with some energetic music. It's going to be 50s again. Sun maybe should be out tomorrow pushing 60. We'll take it a couple weeks before Christmas. Have I ever gotten one of the <laughs> Phil uh, Collins? You've gotten a couple. I think I got one right. Purely by chance. Yes. But you have gotten a couple right. Yeah, it's, it's... Few and far between. It's tough. I don't know why. I just... I'm not... I can't... The problem is there's not really a distinct difference between... Right. What he did solo and then what he did like with Genesis as far as the sound. I can't really Very tell true. the difference. Yep. It's difficult. Don't uh, beat me, yourself up, though. I guess not. I guess not. Uh, so... Bruce Pearl coming out firing, uh, talking about the matchup with IU in Atlanta this weekend. And he went right away and called IU a blue blood. Ooh. <laughs> well, he's just being nice. Well, he does have ties to Indiana. He coached it at the University of Southern Indiana back when they were D2 from 1992 to 2001. Said he, he listened to uh, Bob Knight's coaches show on the radio every week and um, so that had an impact on him, but yes, called IU blue blood. So throw him in the list, you know, Kansas, Duke, North Carolina, Kentucky, UCLA, Indiana, what UConn. Yeah. Uh, I'm my blue bloods is UConn, Kansas, Carolina, Duke. No Kentucky. Uh, uh, yeah, I'll throw Kentucky in there. Okay. I'm not throwing Indiana in there. Used to be. My my rule is if you've won national championships with multiple coaches. You're a blue blood? You're you're a blue blood. I, I can appreciate that rule. Which I guess that would make Michigan State a blue blood. Yeah. Well then you go down a slippery slope of how many how many blue bloods are there? But we've had that discussion before. Yeah. But yeah, I just I thought it was an interesting comment. But uh I will say this. Mike Woodson has done a good job of scheduling some high-caliber matchups for Indiana. It's a, a different take in scheduling compared to the Archie Miller era. Uh, but you have Kansas, obviously, this year. You already played UConn. You get Auburn in this neutral site game, which Atlanta, you say, well, Atlanta, that's kind of random. But this is an area where there's a big IU fan base. And you got to remember, 2002, the road to the Final Four went through Atlanta, right? So, this is kind of a natural fit. It'll be a, a a fun game, I think. I think the best part of of Bruce Pearl talking about uh, talking about Indiana, and he was talking about uh, Bob Knight's coaches show, and this is this is precisely true. He said, "quote He would give the media such a hard time and barely answer their questions, and then some random caller from Fishers or wherever he'd go and answer that question and break it down." And I learned a lot by a lot by listening to him and watching him. It was precisely that he, he would. He'd get intelligent questions from the media and he'd brush them off. Then he'd just get an absolutely dumb question from a caller 
and he would break it down for five minutes. <laughs> that was uh, uh that was typical Bobby Knight. But you look at the matchup with with Auburn. Um, who's their top? Is it Johnny Broom? Yeah, the the senior. He's yeah. back. Averages Aiden, almost a double double. Aiden Holloway, the freshman coming in, a very coveted freshman coming in. He's an interesting player. I think the biggest thing is this is a team that will probably find their way into the tournament, but they're still kind of going through some growing pains, kind of like Indiana. Yeah, a little bit like Indiana. I mean, Chad Baker is kind of that uh, that hustle, that energy guy that does a bunch of different things that but doesn't really stand out. So uh, it is a team that was also coming off a disappointing loss at App State. And some people are saying, well, see, that's why teams don't go to mid or low majors when they're a high major. But I think it's precisely what we need more of. And Bruce Pearl wasn't shying away from that challenge. No, he makes a point to do that every year when it comes to scheduling, which is it's refreshing because we usually we get the opposite. But I think a lot of that has to do with how he worked his way up as a coach. I'm sure that's played an impact and. And really, just it comes down to broom and wear, right? Yeah. And then throw Which in is strength on strength because broom is their top player and he's a forward. He may be the best forward in the SEC, but if we're talking strengths for Indiana, it's that front court. So strength on strength there. So can Indiana's backcourt do what it needs to do to be able to win this game? And I think that's the biggest question going on going into it. And broom does what he does, which is what, 18 and nine uh, in 23 and a half minutes a game, yeah, which he is unbelievable. Yeah, the court a lot in terms of, you, of, of what you would expect from your leading score. So they, they have a, a senior guy. They have a five-star freshman guard who's, who's coming in inconsistent as a shooter, but he can, he can put together some big performances. And I think the other thing, when you look at this matchup for Indiana, again, these, these are the games where it's a good test for them doesn't impact Big Ten play. I kind of view the Auburn and Kansas games as basically gravy. If you get a win, great. If not, like it, there's nothing to panic about here. Now, texter text texting in. Uh, went to Vegas last year to watch IU in Arizona. Seventy five percent IU fans. This would be the same yeah. in Atlanta. That's what I would expect. I mean, you look at this Auburn team. You look at the strengths and the weaknesses, and they're very similar to Indiana. We talked about the front court. You look at the back court, and you have guys like Denver Jones and KD Johnson that struggle in shooting, okay? And you have a team that's 290th in the nation in three-point shooting percentage. There were three of 27 against App State in that loss, okay? So when you're looking at what Auburn can do well, it is aggressive defensively, but that also leads to foul trouble. That's per- mostly why Broom is only playing 23 minutes a game is because he gets into foul trouble. Kind of like Malik Renew, right? A little now bit. He can get into foul trouble. So I think when you're looking at this is can IU execute in its strengths and then also be better in its weaknesses as well. But Auburn does get to the line a lot of times, 23rd in the country in free throw attempts per game. They only shoot 70, 69% from the line, but they get there a lot. So for for, for Indiana, this is a game that it's not going to feel like a pure home game, but it's not going to feel like a hostile environment either. And you have a team that is very motivated to come off what they consider a bad loss at App State and try to get a good win to erase that. And meanwhile, Indiana is still trying to roll. Indiana needs to to refocus from, okay, we accomplished what we wanted to do in the Big Ten early, get two wins, and now we're stepping out of the non-conference against two challenging opponents, Auburn and, of course, Kansas. First step is Auburn. They match up well. Can they execute and get a win?
And I, I think the, the biggest question mark for Indiana that seems to be going into every game, status of Xavier Johnson. And Mike Woodson uh, saying earlier uh, this week that I don't know yet on Johnson's status for the game. So that remains to be seen. Obviously, if he's back, that's a huge boost for Indiana. You, you just hope you get him back for one of these two games, one of these two upcoming games against Auburn and Kansas. But you also don't want to push don't, him yeah, either. Don't rush yes. him back. Have him ready for Big Ten play starting, what, January 3rd against Nebraska? Is that right? So that that's where you really need him. And I think anything, we, we, we talked about it too coming out of the Michigan game, is you were able to see other guys in pressure moments. You're able to see CJ, CJ Gunn. You're able to see Gabe Cups have to step up. And both of them did based on their expectations. Gunn with a couple big shots off the bench. You had Cups being able to run the offense effectively, although being a non-factor and being able to score the, the basketball. He needs to become more of that. I'd be surprised if we see Xavier Johnson tomorrow, to be honest. Uh, what's the gain by putting him out there if he's not 100%? I could see him back for the Kansas game. Maybe he is back tomorrow, but if he's anywhere close to having the ability to re-injure that foot as opposed to resting a couple more days and being stronger, I just don't put him, I don't suit him up tomorrow, but we'll see. Yeah, we shall see what happens. 46862. Again, 46862, the text line number. You have thoughts on Indiana and Auburn coming up tomorrow afternoon. It's going to be a fun day of college hoops. I mean, college football, you have the Army-Navy game, which I'll probably check out some of that. But, I mean, IU with the matchup against Auburn, Purdue with the matchup uh, against Alabama in Toronto. We'll talk about that coming up in hour number two. I haven't seen the Army uniforms. Um, I've seen the Navy uniforms. They're the silent service uniform paying homage to the uh, submarine service. I'm trying to find the army is going to go the rock of the Marne unis, which are pretty sweet looking, but I'm going to go advantage Navy Navy in the uniform battle. Who do you root for in army Navy? Uh, I'm impartial to the Naval Academy. I don't know. I am too. I don't know why either. Is it because they have a better fight song? I think (laughs) (laughs) because anchors away. Yeah. You grew up, um, Watching Navy a lot if you're a Notre Dame fan, maybe. I, I don't know. Um, for some reason, our speaking of anchors away, I went to Portage Middle School, and that was our school song. We were the Rams. <laughs> Explain that <laughs> Well, to me. that makes sense. Rams, Navy's mascot is a ram. All right. Well, I guess you you found the connection that I couldn't find. <laughs> I get so it. So maybe it made perfect sense, and I'm just an idiot. I don't know. But, yeah, I, I, I am familiar with anchors away. I could probably play it on the saxophone if I picked up one right now. <laughs> Uh, a couple other texts about IU. CK, no Johnson for Auburn, an extreme long shot for Kansas. Probably won't play till Nebraska. Um, I mean, that's not public information, but yeah, that wouldn't surprise me at all. And then someone else, Xavier Johnson, has more turnovers than assists. I'm not sure that getting him back is a boost. Here's the thing. I, it, look, I understand statistically he has struggled, but he is IU's best guard on the team. I don't think anyone's going to question that. And I think people he's their say best chance. He's their best perimeter defender. Right. He's their best guard. He's a guy who can create his own shot. He can he shoot is, the three. He can make his free throws. Yeah, he's the best free throw shooter they have. There are definite limitations to Xavier Johnson's game. It is boomer bust. And quite it can often. be frustrating for sure. But I think the longer you see Gabe Cups in that position, the more you're going to long for the return of Xavier Johnson, in my opinion. Yeah. Not taking anything away from Gabe Cups, but he's young and he still needs to learn a lot. And this is great experience. But long term, you want your senior in there. 
this team is not going to survive with Gabe Cups as the starting point guard in the thick of Big Ten play. It's no. just the reality. Yeah, and it's not a knock on him. It's an, it's the fact of life in the Big Ten and trying to trust a young player. This is not like last year where IU had a, a guy who was rumored to be a potential one-and-done at point guard to start the year who had size, who had strength, who had a shot, and Gabe Cups just is not that guy. And that's fine. Yeah, Gabe Cups will develop into a good player. Uh, give him some time. He'll, he'll probably run the show next year. But this year, not ready to, to be that starter He's been thrust into that role early, but I don't think it's something long-term that's going to, to work out. If we don't see Xavier Johnson until Big Ten play, how about Gabe Cups getting his first three starts at Michigan to start the Big Ten, then you play neutral side against Auburn, and then a what will be a raucous environment at the Assembly Hall against Kansas. That's being thrown into yeah, the deep end. That is being thrown into the fire, indeed. Coming up on the other side, uh, a pitch for NIL that is... Well, a unique idea that I can't believe we've never thought of. We'll get to that next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney. Thanks for joining us here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. 46862 is how you reach us on the text line. Again, 46862. And NIL, it's obviously taken over college sports and a unique idea that was presented I think it's it's worth discussing. In-game donations for NIL. So this was uh, from Bill Bush, former college coach, uh, radio host now in 93.7 The Ticket in Lincoln. So that's why there's Nebraska and Iowa references in the clip we're about to play. But this is an idea that I think is transformational in the NIL game. And whether you love it or hate it, I think it's going to draw a strong reaction. But here's what he had to say the other day about his – New grand NIL idea. How it works. Make a play, get paid. A big screen pops up on the board. So imagine it's the Iowa game, and all of a sudden, Purdy hits Lloyd. Boom. You get to pay him right there. Their Venmo account's up. You get to pay him right at the same time, and the meter goes. Can you imagine that? It's like, pay the man. Can you imagine? Okay, so... <laughs> your so, Venmo so, and there's like the QR code for the Venmo on the screen and you can, you can send a donation. Well, the Iowa example, I mean, I, I would say if the, the, the punter coffin corners a punt <laughs> inside the five, yeah. that's when he would get paid yes. for Iowa considering they can't score. But could you imagine like a thousands of, of drunk college football fans at games that are just like, ah, oh, throw, here's a thousand dollars. You could load up. I mean, people would max out their accounts, but kids would load up on cash. Like is this now and I, I, I don't understand the the actual like how possible is this and there there are some people in the comments with examples of, of how this works, but not to that extreme. Like not like we're putting a, a Venmo QR code on the Jumbotron Venmo for a player. And cash app and, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think uh probably not the the uh the most ideal situation, but But like is this where we're headed it. or is this too far fetched? I mean, if you asked me five years ago, I would say what we're at right now would be too far-fetched. <laughs> exactly. But here we are, so who the hell knows? And, and, and I think the other thing is, uh, like, this is like giving someone a tip for making a great play. I, I, you yeah, get a sack? Just, okay, let, let's... There's some cash. Here's cash some cash. for you. I, I, d- I mean, I don't hate it. At least it's uh, it's overt. It's not trying to do things under the table or all the, all the sinister things that used to go on and continue to go on. At least it's straight up 
out there. Make a play, get paid. And, and this is not going through a collective, right? This is direct to this the player. Direct cash into their Venmo or their cash app or whatever. As always, players got to report stuff for taxes, right? And I think that's the part that gets lost in the shuffle and all the NIL money is the tax element in all of this. Uh, also, CK, pass around the collection basket. Yeah. That's what you could do. Just uh, <laughs> at, at, uh, at the shoe with 100,000 people there, just pass around a collection basket <laughs> and see how much money you can get people put in. The, the scary thing is we joke about all this stuff, but like you said, five years ago, we never could have imagined oh, right? where we're at now. So yeah. why not? Tip jars everywhere. You know? <laughs> just every little bit helps for NIL collectives. Who knows? I'm not yeah. against it. Yeah. I Whatever works, because I, at this point, the dam was already broken through a couple years ago, so why not just give the players every avenue and every opportunity? And just remember, the NCAA themselves just proposed an idea where players would be paid directly through the schools with NIL and not having to go through third-party collectives. Yeah, it's out there. Now, here's something else to, to with, uh, with, and I think this ties in with NIL, because Marvin Harrison Jr. Yeah. says yesterday he's undecided on whether he's going to go into the NFL. I don't buy that Now, I find it hard to believe, but with the amount of money that's becoming available in the NIL, do you see a situation in the near future where a top five, top ten pick decides to come back because of the money? No. You don't think that'll the, ever happen? The money in the NFL is way too great. Like, I mean, I agree. You can look at the short term and say, yeah, for one year it makes sense, but Marvin Harrison Jr.'s got to look at it, and, and you don't have to reach far. You can point to Jalen Smith every time this comes up and says, look what happens if you put yourself at risk when you don't need to when you're a top draft pick. So when you look at the numbers, and th these are the value, total value of rookie contracts for first-round picks in, in this year's draft. So Marvin Harrison Jr., let's say he goes at number three, which is kind of where he's projected in a lot of these mocks. Total value of that contract, $38.2 million. There's no way. There's no way he's getting that. Like, an IL is, is, is great, and it could be enticing for a for a maybe a lesser player, but if you're going in the, in the top 10 of the draft, I mean, to me, if you're a first-round pick, it's a no-brainer decision. Well, according to him, the money isn't as much as the of an impact as it is not beating Michigan, which, again, I'm like, you know, come on, dude. Go make your money. Who cares about beating Michigan? Yeah. I yeah, know I, that's sacrilege to say for Ohio State <laughs> fans, but, dude, go get your money, man. Yeah, it, it's it's a good you quote. You don't owe Ohio State to, to play up saying you want to beat Michigan. Yeah, it's it's great for the for But Ohio I, State I fans, don't but. for a second believe he's not going pro. No, not at all. So when you look at guys like uh, like Marvin Harrison Jr. throwing this idea out or, or Caleb Williams talking about, ah, maybe I go, maybe I don't, I I – I find it hard to believe that they wouldn't. Yeah, I mean, is is Caleb Williams not going to go pro and come back and and play for USC in the Big Ten? Like, no, nah, I don't think so. And risk getting hurt. Yeah, That's it's 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 not no worth sense. it. Four six eight six two. The text line number four six eight six two. Coming up on the other side, Blake Sebring, author of Brave at Heart, longtime News Sentinel writer. He will join us in studio to talk about the book. Uh, that's coming up next here on Caleb and Kenny in the Morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Hour number two, Caleb and Kenny in the Morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, 
Justin Kinney. Thanks for joining us. 46862 is how you reach us on the text line again. 46862. Coming up this hour on the show, joining us in studio, Blake Sebring. He'll be with us here shortly. Plus, also in studio, Kurt Tippin, Snyder football coach, set to join us later this hour. And we'll talk a little bit, bit of Purdue basketball. The Boilers in Toronto taking on Alabama coming up tomorrow afternoon. And uh, before we leave you this hour on the show, this week on the show, talk about a rare animal born at a Florida park. So we've talked about Florida Bears. Talked about Florida Panthers. No, not the hockey team, but actual Florida Panthers. Now we have a different animal. Completing the Florida trifecta. We've talked about Everglades snakes. Yeah. Oh, we love our wildlife in Florida. Yes. Florida or Australia. It's a two places. That's, that's where all our weird and wild stories yes. come from. Seemingly. Yes. Or Florida man. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a given. <laughs> Joining us now in studio, Blake Sebring, author of Brave at Heart an author of many books over the years. Blake, first off, appreciate you coming in. Great to have you here to talk about the book. Um, this this was a, a, a process, obviously, to, to write this memoir and kind of tell us how the idea to write the book came about. Um, I went out to Mark and Lisa's house to do a story for the Journal Gazette about his post-game huddles. And uh, we were done, and I, I realized this has had a much bigger story. And I said, do you ever think about doing a book? And Mark winked at me and says, well, you better hurry. So the next, he already, I mean, he knew for the last 19 months that he was, he couldn't beat the cancer. And uh, so I went out there seven weeks every morning just about, and we would go for an hour, hour and a half. Usually it ended up being an hour and a half because he'd get excited and keep going and and Lisa was there helping us. And and so Mark, we did that. We did a Q&A section, essentially. Essentially so Mark could see it. And he could make sure he was comfortable with what was going on and, and how we were doing it and that kind of thing. And then um, we we uh, asked for contributions of, of columns from uh, some of their friends, former players, assistant coaches, pastors, school officials, uh, some of his former players from his other stops along the way. And, and I told him, I don't want you to tell me Mark's a great guy. I want you to show me how Mark was a great guy in your life and how that affected your life. And everybody came through and they all gave unique perspectives that was fascinating. Um, and it, you, what you came to understand was it wasn't just basketball players that Mark affected. It was everybody. And he made a point of reaching out to kids who weren't basketball players, in fact. Uh, he was the, the physical education teacher and assistant athletic director at Blackhawk. And he, he coached, he uh, taught the younger kids, the elementary school kids and PE and stuff. And he gave them all nicknames and stuff. I'm, I'm kind of mad I didn't get a nickname, <laughs> you know, but I mean, and those kids, we got a couple of them to talk about what those nicknames meant to them and how that m- made them feel like they belonged. And I mean, he was just amazing how Mark was 6'6", 315, and he was a strongman competitor, a very good one. And he could be as intimidating and as intimidating as someone that stature could right. be. But he had this gift of making everyone feel comfortable around him, including when he talked about faith. And it was just remarkable. He was a modern-day apostle. It's, it's a great uh, – th- 
I wanted to ask you about the process because you said going over there every morning, it had to be surreal because you said off air, it was like you guys were working collectively on his obituary. Essentially. And and how difficult that was, but enlightening at the same time, I imagine. Well, our goal, the primary goal was to further his message. Like he would do these post-game huddles with the opponents after games and he would give a quick two, three-minute testimony. Well, the goal of the book was to allow that message to live on and to spread out more and hit more people. And that's, I think, why he was so interested in doing it too, because God had put him in this position and given him this urgency to share his testimony. And he knew he was going to lose. I mean, he knew, but he could still win by sharing his testimony and doing what he felt like God had asked of him and he could maybe bring some more people to Christ. He wasn't worried about his life on this earth. He was worried about everybody joining him on his eternal life in the next life. Blake uh, Sebring joining us in studio. During this whole process, what was something maybe that you learned about yourself while, while writing this book? Well, and Justin knows I put myself into every story. I mean, I give it everything I got. And... um I miss my friend, you know, I mean, um, I'd been friends with Mark for 10 years and it, it wasn't a close, close relationship. I don't want to fool anybody into that, but it was somebody who I could go talk to. Like we would go talk about stories. Like I remember one time I went to talk to him about the strongman competition after the season had ended. It was like a month later and we sat outside the gym in lawn chairs and talked about faith and, and, theology for an hour and then i'm like uh mark this has been fun but i really got to get like 10 minutes here what can i talk about this story you know but we could do that i mean because he was so open about it and so well read i don't know that i've ever met anybody who knew the bible like mark i mean he could quote you chapter and verse but he didn't uh he met you on your level and so that was why it was fun for me to talk to somebody like that because i'm I don't have the best faith, but I am a faithful person. I'm, you know, you're trying to grow and learn and, and I could learn things from him. And I think he could learn things from me too about that too. I mean, um, not that he needed to, but you know, I mean, we could converse and have a, a real friendship and a real openness and a real conversation. And I miss that. I really do. I mean, some of my people that I rely on for that have passed recently and, and yeah, I miss that part of it. How impactful was, was Lisa through oh, this whole process? Um, without Lisa, this wouldn't have got done. Um, she, I don't know how you, you emphasize what her contribution was. I mean, there's more of Lisa in the book, I think, than there is of Mark, but it's all about Mark. Sure. You know, um, there are so many things that, Lisa contributed that and still wants to contribute more that um, it's, I can't imagine her strength of doing this while she's mourning either. Yeah. You know, I mean, they had so many things going on in their family. Jimmy graduated after they won another state title. Frankie graduated from grace and got married. And now they're playing in France. The first grandbaby was born and she got a puppy. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine? And then she's teaching full time still too, yeah. you know? But she was a trooper during all of this. And uh, 
I'm amazed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was able to go over to, to the house when he first started uh, battling the cancer. And, and I, I, I feel like the message that I got from, from Mark that day was probably the same message that he was passing on to you in his final days. And, and it's just amazing. I think it shows the strength of handling that situation as well in a lot of ways. Well, considering that he would sleep in the locker room during the JV games, and then he would get on the bus and sleep on the way home because he needed to get that strength. And he said somehow God gave him the strength to coach. And, um, you know, we finished on a Thursday, I think, and he passed on a Monday. I mean, or a Sunday. I mean, uh, and we knew we were done. You know, I mean, yeah. we, that we knew we were, we were at a point we could stop, you know, and told him I loved him and, and walked out and um and it went quick I mean and it was you know it's just a heavy heavy responsibility yeah you know um because he trusted me you yeah. know and and uh and Lisa trusted me it's it's just it's a heavy heavy deal is there something from that process of writing this book going through it that is kind of like that you felt like maybe immediately changed in your life. After. Oh, there were tons of <laughs> things along the way. I don't know if it changed my life, but there were things I observed. Like mm-hmm. when the grandbaby was born, a couple months later, I said to Lisa, I said, Lisa, this is how Jack and his siblings and his cousins are going to get to know their grandfather. You know, you can hear all kinds of stories from your parents and stuff, but you can actually read his words. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can hear his voice in this book. And uh, there were lots of examples like that. I got to learn a lot more about their children and what their gifts are and stuff. And it's not just basketball, folks. It's not. I mean, they are exactly who their father or mother raised them to be. And the world's going to be a better place because of it. And um, it's amazing. It was so interesting to hear the different viewpoints of how he affected people. Matt Roth has one of the most powerful chapters in the book talking about one of his sons was at school and he's in the early grades and, and they were talking about uh, who you can't wait to see in heaven again. And, and he thought it'd be aunts or uncles or grandparents for sure. And his son says, coach D it's gotta be coach D and Mark just, and Matt just broke down because he realized the impact Mark is still having on his children after he's gone. And it's, can you imagine the responsibility that Matt feels to, to carry the program? Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, but who better? You know, I mean, sure. and he's not Mark. He's not a guy. Um, he's probably getting more comfortable sharing his faith and stuff and, and being open about it. But I mean, he's still learning from Mark too. It's crazy. Uh, yeah. But it's like, Mark was so happy that Matt got the job because he trusted Matt and mm-hmm. he knew Matt would be great for Jimmy. You know, yeah, and he was, and and Jimmy talks about how he was Matt's senior assistant for the PE classes and stuff, and how they would just talk about things. I mean, it was like the perfect person in the right spot that Jimmy needed. You know, I mean, there's so many ripples through this that are just, just incredible. For those that that didn't know Mark and 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 don't understand the entire story, what's what's the pull for this book to kind of get to know him? Uh, Caleb, read the first paragraph on the back page, please. 
Uh, thousands have inspired deafening noise in Indiana high school basketball gyms, but no one ever created stone silence but maintained rapt attention like Mark Davidson. And that's it. That is it in a nutshell because, you know, we, this is the capital of basketball. But I'd never seen anything like this. You know, and I don't know that anybody ever had either. I mean, when you would start at the start of the season with just the teams and the coaches, and then you got the cheerleaders in there, and the whole time you have people sitting in the stands, and I've seen the pictures, leaning forward, trying to hear what he's saying. And then by the end of the season, everybody's on the court. Yeah. You know, and I don't know that. I mean, we're never going to see that again. Yeah. You know, I mean, teams that had just gotten defeated, including Blackhawk Christian in the regional that year, you know, the last thing they want to do is stay on the court when their careers may be over and their season that they've been putting so much into, but they all did. I mean, that tells you the power of the message and the respect they had for Mark. You know, one thing that I keep thinking about with, with Mark is it, it terrible what happened and the process, but almost fitting in a way that he could reach who he reached in this way and, and, and the impact that he's been able to make. It's almost like that was destined for Mark, not, not how it happened, but mm-hmm. being able to reach people like this. Oh, cause he was, he did that all the time too. It wasn't like, Oh boy, I better prove to God I'm worthy by doing this. No, this was, he did that all the time. That's why he taught in Christian schools. Yeah. And uh, you've met him. I mean, you know, it's exactly who yeah. he was. But this just gave him an urgency to try to reach broader audiences and to, to push. He felt like he had a mandate yeah. to do that. And, thank, you know, no coach said no either. No opposing coach said no. Yeah. That is, in this society that's so segmented. Right. And at public schools too, you know, I mean, I got to check with my principal. He never right, did. Yeah. They just went yeah. and did it, you yeah. know. And, and, uh, that's just so powerful, you know, I mean, whether you accept Mark's message or not, the fact that these coaches respected him enough and cared for their kids enough that, you know, they might learn something here. Right. And I think, I think something you said that was poignant too, he always was on your level. So he wasn't a guy, we all know those people that are kind of ultra religious that kind of pounded down your throat. He was always approached it depending on who you were and what you believed and didn't believe to bring it down or up to your level. And there, you know, the worst part about religion is all these people who can quote you scripture and verse, and then they talk down to you. Yeah, Right. And then they mm-hmm. alienate you. And mm-hmm. it's like, it's their way or no way. Right. Mark never had that. I mean, there's a story in the book that uh, Mike, the assistant coach gave me about how there was an international student. It was the end of the semester and he was going home and Mike, uh, told me Mike Lindsay sat there and and said uh, uh, Mark said I think that kid needs to know about the Lord before he goes home and he just went down and sat by the kid and put his arm around him and talked to him about it I mean can you imagine I mean there are a million stories in this book about mm-hmm. how out of the blue Mark went up to somebody there's one about a referee in there that just blew my mind I mean that he just talked it was a brother of a referee and it was just insane yeah. how it changed people's lives. Just saying hi, you know, yeah. just insane. Blake Sebring joining us in studio to talk about the book brave at heart, the Mark Davidson memoir. 
And uh, let's let's talk about the. I mean, you've done interviews, but the the actual book signings those are all coming up. So, how can people get the book and and be a part of it locally? And then, where can they get it uh, online? It's available on Amazon, where it's shocking me how well it's doing. <laughs> I mean, we were we're number one new release for basketball coaching and for basketball biographies, and we're like number two for spiritual and inspiration, which I've. And I've had successful books before. I did Bob Chase. I did Lloyd Ball. I did the the Comets Perfect Playoff Season. And they all had success, not like this. Um, uh, we're going to be at uh, This and That uh, tomorrow from on North Anthony from 10 to 2 p.m. We're going to be at the Blackhawk uh, game against Canterbury Friday night. It's starting at 6. Um, I'm expecting writer's cramp. <laughs> you know, just and I and I think hard about what I need to write in these books. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's you know, it's it's such a blessing to be able to 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 share Mark and and get his message out there further. Blake, thank you so much for coming in talking about the book. Uh, I'm excited to read this and kind of learn already? from. Uh, not yet. Oh, <laughs> show prep. <laughs> Uh, but I, I'm, I'm excited to read this and, and check it out. And I think the thing with Mark that really, I think a lot of people have to say, and, and I only talked to him a few times, but the biggest thing to me is he is this guy who's just a larger than life figure. And then, but talking to him, like you said, you know, he can meet you at your level. It kills me. The th- funniest story in the book, I think, is he got one technical in his whole career. I mean, here's a guy 6'6", 315. You would think a refs would be knocking their knees, you know. <laughs> and he got it for saying, you got to be kidding me. And he didn't even address the ref. He just said it out loud, and he got a T, and he said he wanted to crawl under the floor. <laughs> you know, and he made a vow he was never going to get another technical, which is inc- it's amazing. Because, yeah. I mean, we're talking high-pressure games, too, you know. Right. And, yeah. I mean, there's just a million little stories like that in no, it's a it's a great story and and no better person uh, to tell that story than you, Blake. So we appreciate Thanks, you coming Justin. in this morning. Yeah. That's Blake Sebring joining us again. The book Brave at Heart. You can find it at Amazon. High Brothers Books. This and that. Uh, the book signing at this and that on North Anthony again, ten a.m. to two p.m. tomorrow here in Fort Wayne. We'll take a quick timeout. Coming up on the other side, Snyder football coach Kurt Tippmann will join us in studio next here on Caleb and Kenny in the morning, thirteen eighty the fan and 100.9 FM. Welcome back to Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kenny, and joining us in studio, Snyder football coach Kurt Tippmann, along with a handful of players from the 2023 Class 5A State Championship squad. Coach, first off, thanks for coming in and, and bringing some members of the team in. We appreciate it this morning. Thanks for having us. Good to see you guys this morning. So you look back on this season and... You start off early on with that huge win against Warren Central. Was was there a moment in the year that you thought this could be a really special group for you? Well, I think that night was a pretty good indication. Um, we we knew going into the season we had lots of questions because we have new guys and new places, and that's always the case in any season. But uh, we knew we had capable guys, and we just needed to see how they were going to respond to you know some tough adverse situations. And being on the road, you know, this was. The first year that we had two non-conference games, and um, we're not used to being on the road. You know, in the SAC, your longest travel is about 20 minutes. And so to get on a bus, and I think it took us two and a half hours to get to Indianapolis that night because of the traffic and the construction. But go down to Warren Central, a you know, perennial really good program. Um, 
you know, and to play as well as we did. I think we answered a lot of those questions that we had both of ourselves and, you know, coaches of players at their positions and the players, you know, gained some confidence in that night playing as well as we did. And did that help then conversely against Mishawaka going on the road, stuff like that, to be able to hit the road and it not being a big shock when you go on the road at the playoffs? Definitely. I think one of the advantages of playing those two non-conference games is to, to put on your schedule some places where you got to travel because, you know, when we would get to the playoffs in the past, it just it was a, a new uh, experience to get on a bus and go an hour and a half, two hours. And not that that determines the outcome, but it to, to have some familiarity with it I think is helpful. Take us through pregame at State and, and what the message was and believing that your guys were ready to play. Well, I mean, we – Certainly enjoyed the atmosphere, and I think you know different guys take it in differently, and some some have a little bit of the deer in the headlight uh, look. But um, you know, to these guys' credit, and to you know the group of guys that are with me today, you know the leadership that they showed, just keeping the important things, the important things, keeping their mind on the task at hand, and they were very businesslike, very relaxed. You know, and our message was just you know we know what we have to do, go out there and do it, do it the best you can, do it the best you've done it this year, and. No, they certainly did that. When you look at how that game went, and it was so close for so long, people look at the final score and say it wasn't, but I, I, how proud were of, of your guys were you in being able to execute in all three facets? We saw that in the postseason too. Just a, a great culmination of the entire season coming down to that game because you needed to execute in all three ways to win that game. Well, I think it was, it was a, a final example of what they demonstrated all year. Talking about the Warren Central game, you know, we start that game off um, on offense. We we, we um, three plays. We go backwards three plays. Punt. Uh, they run the punt back for a touchdown. We go back on offense. Turn it over. They drive down and and kick a field goal. So things did not start off well. <laughs> but to these guys' credit, that they weren't, um, you know, didn't go in the tank. They're just very even keel, business like, and you know, kept playing well. Kept you know, plugging away and, you know, started to make some plays and, and handled that adverse situation really, really well. And they did that all year long. And it doesn't matter which game it was, whether it's the Mishawaka game that, you know, looked bleak with 49 seconds left down by two points. They just did what they've been doing and executed the offense. Kiran, you know, drove us down the field and, and um, you know, Mong kicked the field goal. And then, same thing in the Merrillville game, you know, just executed in, in very key times. Um, and then, you know, did the same thing in the, in the state championship game. And I think that's the sign of a good team. When you need it the most, you know, they execute with fine, you know, precision. Um, and that's how successful teams end up winning. Snyder coach Kurt Tipman joining us in studio. You also recently named uh, the winner of the Power of Influence Award from the AFCA uh, for Region 3, what does this mean for you to be kind of mentioned with some of the other you know, top programs, not just you know, in Indiana, but this is a, a national award? Well, I think it's um, a great representation of what coaches in, in the state of Indiana do. I mean, football in Indiana, I think, is um, uh, you know, maybe underrepresented in the, in the national scheme, and, and, uh, but football in Indiana is – is quality quality football the football players in indiana um you know have been more recruited over the years and and you start to see the quality of football 
in our state, you know, not just in Indianapolis, but, you know, all other parts of the state. And it's a great uh, honor, uh, something that, you know, honored to represent the coaches here in the state of Indiana uh, when we go down to the national convention in January to be able to represent coaches here in Indiana. All right, you brought a, a cadre yeah, of guys in here. Let's who wants, bring the guys who wants in. to talk? Well, Kieran, the quarterback, he always wants to okay. talk. Okay, <laughs> Kieran. All right, Kieran. First off, uh, take us through um, that drive that you guys had to make against Mishawaka, having to drive down, and, and take us through the process you, of of you mentally and being able to put that together. Uh, well, when they made the field goal, my heart dropped a little bit, but I still had faith. Then we came out on the field, and they had, like, two down linemen, and the rest of their defense was playing back. I'm like, I look at the our, uh, offensive coordinator. I'm like, I don't know what to do. What we going to do? We can't pass it. <laughs> so they called uh, one QB draw, and then I just ran. Everybody blocked well. I ran. I got some yards. And they caught it again. I got some more yards. And then field goal time, heart still beating. But then my guy, Mung, just – made it everybody had confidence in mung right yeah, he was gonna nail it for sure <laughs> absolutely um i have to ask you what, what's the more the scarier coach tipman is it when he's silent or when he's yelling at you when you just get to that stare is there a stare that you guys know that coach tipman's not in a good mood that he's not happy with you guys <laughs> everyone's Everybody's shaking their heads <laughs> <laughs> when he crosses his arms when he folds his, his arms up and probably walk away <laughs> it's almost like that. I'm not mad at you, but I'm disappointed, right? Yeah, it's, it's you like know he's mad. <laughs> Is there a phrase that he repeats all the time that everyone just automatically you you roll your eyes at if he uh, says a phrase not in practice? In front of him, though, but roll his eyes behind. Yeah, him. yeah, behind him. Or or if if anyone has a good impression of of that phrase that they can pull off that doesn't mind running after this, <laughs> they're all pointing to one guy. <laughs> Who's stepping up? Come on now. <laughs> but what's that phrase that he says all the time? Because you guys were kind of looking at each other. Is there something Coach Tip says or any coach that says? <laughs> oh, see, so it puts you on the spot. Nobody's yeah, got it. Yeah, they're 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 too, they're too afraid because <laughs> he's in the room. Yeah, if we get Tip out the room, you guys would really be talking. Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> what were the uh, what were the uh, what were the emotions for you guys? Uh, getting ready to go out on the field at Lucas Oil Stadium. I know you guys went down there and practiced, uh, and yeah, you guys can step up, but um, I know you guys practiced earlier in the week, but when they do the intros in there, they do the video, and you guys are standing there. I mean, what are the emotions going through you? Um, honestly, I was nervous. I was just thinking to myself, like, it's time. Like, you know, the game about to start. We got to do what we got to do, do what we came out here to do. And, you know, after, after, you know, running out there and seeing everybody get Introduce yourself now. I'm Will, number seven, defensive tackle. Got a Will um, Kelso in here. <clears throat> um, I'll say when we went down there on Wednesday, when we went down there on Wednesday, that's when I, like, took it all in. I was more of, like, taking it, like, dang, I'm really on Lucas Oil. But then Friday came, I mean, it was straight business. I really didn't take in consideration that we was on Lucas Oil because no matter what field we play on, we was going to go out there. <laughs> now, the confidence, you, I love could that. Could you guys enjoy Thanksgiving? Were were y'all able to eat, or were you guys nervous? I didn't. I, re, I really didn't. I, I, I didn't eat that many. <laughs> step, if you got some, step step right up. I ate like two or three plates of food. I didn't have any problems. <laughs> no problems. 
<laughs> All right, who else got some stuff? Who, who wants to talk here? Step right up. <laughs> what you got? You come on in. So we got Lucas Rohrbacher here. Yeah. Um, Introduce him. Jake Tipman, Uriah Buchanan, the franchise. <laughs> <laughs> Ethan Dotson, offensive line. Kieran and uh, Will Kelso. That's this one. Hey, come on, your son has to have some interesting stories. <laughs> I know here. Is he the one that wants definitely? Wants I, I want to ask Kieran because I know in an earlier interview he said that I cheat in the two minute drill. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. And I I, I, I want to argue that. Because if I cheated, I think I I think there was a, the only time the offense won was when we called some personal fouls on the head coach or something like that. <laughs> they kept the drive going. So I, I dispute your claim that <laughs> head coach favors the offense. Because Tip call no a sacks sack. in the two minute drill. He call a sack every play. They don't be nowhere near me, and he call a sack. <laughs> so and I'm gonna say. <laughs> None of them could tackle me anyway. <laughs> so you got Kieran saying there's no, there's they're always sacking it, and Will saying they never call sacks. Yeah. So the truth is somewhere in the middle, of the course. Truth is somewhere in the middle. <laughs> One of the things we do on Thursday uh, every week is we have a competition. It's a two minute drill: the offense versus the defense. Live, it's it's uh, it's good competitiveness between the two groups, and uh, they argue each night about who won and why they won, and. Uh, who cheated to get the? So pretty competitive, but it's really, you know, we Kieran talked about the the last drive in the Mishawaka game. You know, I think their willingness to compete each and each of those Thursdays in that drill, you know, leads to the execution that you see in, in key times like the Mishawaka game. So credit to these guys. Kurt Tittman and uh, Snyder football players joining. Any other player have something that they want to add about the season going to state? Uh, they're all looking around. Don't be afraid of the mic. Oh, Lucas. Make sure you step up. What do you got a question about? Um, <laughs> like what? What? Uh, what was? What? Like what was going through your head when you when you knew you were winning the state championship? What was kind of like that that feeling, that emotion like? Like when the momentum. Starts yeah, yeah. Like when I kind of started realizing that we, it was really when Uriah pulled away with that second one. I saw him break away. I was like, okay. Defense, we're getting situated, we're getting comfortable. I was like, I don't think they're going to get any more points on us. I was like, I know offense is going to score some points. We just got to lock into everything. Don't let them score again. We're going to score some more. I was just trying to, like, keep that out of my mind and just remember I still got three quarters of football to play before, you know, thinking about the rings. It didn't look good at the beginning, and then it looked real good. But, like, it's high school football. Anything can happen. you got to stay locked into that. I just wanted to keep everybody like as focused as we could, and just make sure that we really like get on them. Absolutely, Justin. Anything else for you? No, I'm good. I appreciate you guys. This is yeah. the most people we've ever had. In yeah, the, in, in this tiny in this, studio. Well, and it's in the morning, seven to nine. Nobody ever wants to come visit. And yeah. we have Blake this morning. We got Snyder football in here. So uh, you I, guys are. I think that's now. now what we we've had three different groups in studio now. Yeah, and two, so. and two on the same two day. Two on the same day, for sure, but. <laughs> Uh, we appreciate it, guys. And I guess, you know, my final final question for you, Tip, and, and now multiple uh, state championships, and I know you're you're a selfless guy, but with, with all the history of Snyder and the the, uh, the, the the great coaches that have come through, I, what's it mean to kind of be a guy to be the first uh, coach in Snyder history to win multiple state titles? Well, I think it's just a sense of pride in our program. Um, the, the people that have played in the program, coached in the program, um, 
you know, feel very strongly about the program because what it teaches as you go through it and what it stands for. And, um, you know, I'm a product of the program. I played in the program and came back to coach because of what the program taught me when I was there and what the adults in the program, um, you know, taught me while I was there. And I think uh, that's what we're trying to do now. And the championships are great, but more importantly, the relationships that are built and the impact that we have on each other, I think, is what's special. And that's the that's the the characteristics that you take with you when you leave the program and go off and do adult things. Um, but you carry those traits with you, and, and I think that's why it always has a special place in everybody's heart. One of the coolest things about the state championship was seeing the number of former players, you know, that visited practice that week, that sent us messages, and that were at the game, and then obviously received. Um, messages after, but just the the multitude of people that, you know, played in the 70s or played in the 80s or played in the 90s. And, you know, we've been able to have that continuity over that long period of time, you know, with guys like Coach Bush and Coach Ike and Coach Hawley and, um, you know, those those there's commonality. We were talking in the other uh, studio about, you know, our summer program. And it's kind of cool because guys that played in the 70s, went through the same summer routine and same uh, kind of intense training that goes on in the summer that guys played this past uh, summer. So, you know, there's a lot of commonality, a lot of shared experiences, but all of which make it special in everybody's place. Coach, players, thanks so much for coming in. Congrats again on, on winning the 5A state championship, and best of luck next season with the new challenge ahead of you. That's Coach Kurt Tippmann and a handful of Snyder Panthers joining us in studio. Coming up on the other side, Purdue on the road in Toronto. We'll preview the Boilers and the Crimson Tide. Next here on Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Good stuff having back-to-back in-studio guests here. All of a sudden, everybody wants to come in and visit us <laughs> here in the morning show. We have never, we don't ever have people in here in the, back-to-back the, segments. Let alone have people in. So the... The only other time we had someone, it was comedian David Keckner, right? Yes. That was it? Yes. Uh, it was uh, very much. So that was the only time we had guys in, and, and now we have Blake and, and the Snyder Panthers. So we go from Champ Kind to Blake Sebring to Snyder Football. What a combination. Yes. <laughs> so sounds like the start of a joke. <laughs> yeah, it really does. <laughs> uh, someone texted in at uh, 46862. Um, it, it feels illegal to have a, a Tipman. Not, you know, from Dwinger. <laughs> right, because it's stockpiled. It's, it's a running joke every year is how many Tippins are on the uh, Bishop Dwinger roster. But it's a huge family, which a bunch of different arms, and the Kurt Tippman arm is over at Snyder. Uh, someone else, why do you always talk about IU basketball before Purdue basketball? Because we save the best for last. Yeah. Come on. It, it, it always leaves you wanting more. Yes. So in, in talking to Purdue basketball, interesting matchup coming up tomorrow afternoon. And you can hear the game right here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Pre-game at 1230, tip at 130. Purdue, Alabama in Toronto. Uh, really cool that a? Zach Eady gets to have this game in, in Toronto. Yeah, A, uh, a boot that. Uh, but <laughs> Alabama, this is, I think, a game that you look at, it's like, oh, Purdue should have no problem. Uh, but Alabama's a good team. They're the second highest scoring team in the country. They get to the free throw line a lot. And they shoot nearly 80% as a team, something Purdue obviously is is nowhere close to that number. 
And they're a really good shooting team. So this is a tough matchup for Purdue on Saturday afternoon. I mean, Mark Sears shoots and makes over 50% of his threes. Aaron Estrada's making 45% of his threes. Ryland Griffin shooting 37%. I mean, those guys, if you put them on Indiana, they'd shoot. Uh, it'd be tremendous. They'd make 23s a game. But <laughs> this is a, a, a good challenge for Purdue. It doesn't help Purdue at any point this season to be playing lackeys or slacks. And, and, and they've largely gotten past that portion of the schedule. So this is a good, good challenge for Purdue and we'll see how it goes tomorrow. But you know, they don't play very much over the next couple weeks. I think what twice in two weeks, but those games are Alabama and Arizona. So it's a good time to rest, recruit and practice, but also you have two big proving grounds with coming up tomorrow up in Canada and then against uh, Arizona and Indy later this month. And the game tomorrow on Fox next week, it's a Peacock game for Purdue. So prepare yourselves, but uh, these these big matchups. I mean, a- again, I understand that people are bummed about the loss of the Crossroads Classic. I get it. But it's allowing Purdue to do events like this, like next weekend where they play Arizona and Indianapolis, and Arizona the, the number one team at the moment. Um, it's allowing IU to do a home-and-home with Kansas. So I, I think that event, in all honesty, had run its course. And I think it's it's allowing matchups like we're seeing this weekend and next weekend to, to happen. And and for Purdue, I mean, it's it's great for them to get these opportunities because you get a couple bye games at the end of the year, and then it's full throttle into the Big Ten schedule. And I'll be fascinated. You know, Edie's had some really good games this year, but I don't feel like he's had kind of a, a monster performance because every performance is so good, right? But, you know, does he show out? tomorrow in Toronto playing at home. We shall see. You know, you look at this matchup, and Alabama has several bigs that they can throw in there. You look at Nick Pringle and Jaron Stevenson, Muhammad Waig, all three dudes that they can put in the post and sometimes multiple on the court at one time. So how does does Purdue deal with that in terms of having multiple bigs? I'm not worried about Zach Eady matching up against whoever, but if they double him with two bigs, we're going to have to see that. And... You also look at what Alabama struggled this year, and it was against Clemson, and they went to their big, P.J. Hall, who was absolutely dominant in the post. So if you look at what the key is, I know it's not rocket science, but you feed Edie, but you see Alabama has struggled against a big against with Clemson this year. I would think that that's going to be more of the same tomorrow for Purdue. But on the other side of the floor, can Alabama challenge the Boilermakers, challenge Zach Edie with that size, maybe get him into foul trouble, pick up an early two in the first half or an early third in the second half, something like that, to where they have to play without him and it gives Alabama the edge in the post and see if they can take advantage. So uh, I think some some definite interesting storylines in this one tomorrow. Really exciting to have, again, the, the more non-conference premier matchups that college basketball can do in November and December, the better in my book. And especially now that we're past, quote-unquote, past college football regular season, I know you have Army-Navy tomorrow, but the next two weeks, the next two weekends, is where college basketball should just laden the schedule. Saturday and Sunday, just just throw a ton of non-conference big matchups at them. Triple headers, quadruple do whatever, because take advantage of at least the Saturday, because you only have one college football game tomorrow, and you have nothing next week. I think maybe there's a bowl game or two next Saturday. But this is when college basketball has to strike when you're talking about trying to capture eyes 
before the new year, before you get into conference play. Yes, and I think the other thing is when when you look at the schedule, college football gets off with a bang, right? Labor Day weekend, college basketball needs to have that same approach, and it's it's getting there. I feel like they're improving things, but there's still a lot to be desired. And I get it. There's a lot of competition, but they have nights during the week where there's no competition. Yeah, Tuesdays, would, Wednesdays. I would like to advantage. see more organized events, one-day shootouts or whatever, on prime dates. When you're Prior at, to Thanksgiving. Right. Tomorrow, well, and, and between Thanksgiving and Christmas, I yeah. think when you look at this Saturday and next, next Saturday, Saturday is having prime opportunities to just throw a one-day showcase with four different games or multiple games in multiple places that are big-time showdowns, something to really capture people because coming out of college football, I'm looking at it going, well, it's Saturday. I mean, there's no football outside Army-Navy. Well, if there was a litany of really good basketball games, maybe people would tune in. That is true. You give people good matchups, and they'll want to be a part of it. And I think Purdue-Alabama, iu Auburn, definitely on the list of a lot of intriguing matchups coming up tomorrow afternoon. You have Arizona-Wisconsin as well uh, on that list. Coming up on the other side, we'll wrap it up here on a Friday. Another rare animal, this time born in Florida. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Finishing off the week with some Smash Mouth. Perfection. Can't go wrong with some Smash Mouth. No. No, absolutely cannot. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Wrapping up the show today, wrapping up the week, and got another rare animal. This time in Florida, so we we talked about not one, but two rare giraffes born, like the albino giraffes. Uh Uh-huh. Well, now, an alligator park in Florida announced the rare hatchling of a solid white leucistic alligator. Basically, a a white alligator. Like an albino Um, alligator? Yeah, first solid white alligator to be documented since a nest of those were discovered in Louisiana about 36 years ago. They called it Beyond Rare, uh, first one in the world. Said there's only seven leucistic alligators known to still survive in the world. Three are housed at Gatorland. Yeah, this is Gatorland in Orlando. Obviously, an alligator kind of animal park. Now, they're different from albino alligators. Oh. Because the albino alligators, which completely lack pigment and have pink eyes instead of the bright blue eyes Mm -hmm. sported by the leucistic counterparts. So, blue eyes as opposed to pink eyes. So, the female baby uh, in her normal colored brother uh, will go on public display early next year, according to Gatorland. They cannot have direct sunlight for long periods of time because they sunburn easily. Oh, yeah, I can relate. <laughs> yeah, same, same. <laughs> if I'm if I'm outside for like ten to fifteen minutes in the sun and direct sunlight, I can start to feel a burn. Really, it's that bad. Yes. Ugh. Yikes. And I'm 41 years old. I still will go play like the beach or whatever on vacation and just not put. It. And I'm like, I'm like, what am I doing? Like, why? How stupid am I? Oh, see, I don't forget. I lather up. It's like Do a you? whole. You have it like all caked all over your nose. Like you see not, like white not, all like, over. No, not like that. Okay. Not that bad. But yes, I mean, I, I, if I'm going to be out in the sun, it's like, okay, got to. Do all this, and it's annoying, but it'll make my experience more enjoyable. Now, do you go spray or actual lotion? I prefer lotion. 
I don't think spray has that good a coverage. I would agree. You miss spots. Because you, you still need to like rub the spray in. I always have the part of my like back that I can't reach or yeah. my shoulder that mm-hmm. I can't spray, and that will be what gets burned. But I mean, you, you don't have your wife do that for you? Uh, well, if I, if she offers, I will. But that's, <laughs> that, that's when I, uh, I'm like, I don't need it. I got it. I got it. And then I, like, no. my shoulders are no, covered. You do not. But uh, at least me and this uh, not albino alligator, we could both relate to yes. him. Fully relate to <laughs> limited sunlight exposure without burning. It's not ideal for an alligator. I can't no. imagine they don't live very long in the wild if they have this condition. Well, if, I mean, think about it. Like, alligators often sun themselves. That's what I'm saying. So they what are they supposed themselves. to do? Yeah. Just and hang out underwater and then hang out in the shade? I mean, they're cold-blooded. They have to be in the sun. Yeah. So, that's true. Yeah. But uh, lucky this one is uh, It'll be taken in care. captivity at Gatorland. I've never been to Gatorland. I haven't either, to my knowledge. But I've, I've definitely been to like alligator places in Florida. Like yes. That. Us too. They're fun. That wraps it up. Thanks to Blake Sebring for coming in. Thanks to Kurt Tippmann and several Snyder Panther football players for coming in. For Justin Kinney, I'm Caleb Hatch. That wraps it up for us, for us this week. Dan Patrick coming up next. The Herd with Colin Cowherd set for noon. Indiana Sports Beat with Jim Coyle from 3 to 4. And the Sports Rush with Brett Rump from 4 to 6. All here today on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.